Father, what a privilege to call you Father. We come to you as a good Father who loves to give us good gifts, and this morning we're longing for the outpouring of the greatest gift we could possibly ask for, for your Holy Spirit to fill our hearts and to touch the lives around us as you live out your life within us. Lord, this morning as we hear from your word, I ask that we would hear your voice and your voice alone, that it would change our hearts, that it would lead us in new paths of righteousness for your namesake, that that we would walk out of here to live a life more closely connected to Jesus than ever before. This can only happen through your grace and through your power, but we give you full permission to speak to us this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you could ask your dad to teach you anything, what would you ask him to teach you? Or some of the things maybe that your dad taught you to do. I remember my dad growing up. You know, I didn't go to my dad and ask him, well, would you teach me how to cook? Not that my dad couldn't be a very good cook, but my dad's place wasn't cooking in the kitchen. He didn't spend a lot of time in the kitchen. But when I wanted to learn how to catch a football, I went to ask my dad. Dad, would you show me how to catch Because my dad had played some football in high school. And so my dad loved nothing more than, even though he worked a really busy schedule, but he would come home in the evenings and he'd say, Zach, you want to go out in the backyard? And we lived in Pennsylvania. We had this long backyard and he would just throw pass after pass to me, training me to be a wide receiver. (laughs) Paid off when I got to high school because I at least knew how to catch a football. I didn't know some other things, but I'm so thankful for the time that my dad took to teach me. I remember when I asked him about how to hit a baseball because we were playing some softball at school. And and then he bought me a a baseball mitt for Christmas so that I could become a little better at playing softball. Now, tomorrow, if you come out to the softball game, you're going to learn that I didn't pursue softball very long. And so it didn't pay off that much. But dads are, are great at teaching us things, aren't they? Now, let me ask you this. If you were able to ask Jesus to teach you only one thing, what would you ask Jesus to teach you? If, if you could only have Jesus teach you one thing, if you were one of the disciples who sat at Jesus' feet for three and a half years and, and you had the chance to say, hey Jesus, I just want to learn this one thing from you. What would you ask Jesus to teach you? Love. That would be an excellent thing to ask. What, what other things would you ask Jesus to teach you? Humility. I might ask Jesus, hey, that thing you did with Lazarus, you know how you raised him from the dead? Could you teach me how to raise people from the dead? Or how about how do I anoint people's eyes and, and have them see or heal lepers? Or how do I teach like you? Jesus, I really need to learn how to preach like you preach. Because when you preach, people would walk away and their lives would be changed and and they were just alive with God. I want to be able to teach like that. A lot of different things that I would have wanted to ask Jesus. How do I walk on water? Be an amazing thing to learn from Jesus. It's interesting that when you go to the Gospels, there's only one thing that the disciples actually ask Jesus to teach them. Go with me to Luke chapter 11. 
Luke chapter 11, we find the only time that the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you teach us how to do something? I'm, now, Jesus was constantly teaching them how to do all different types of things, but this was the only specific time where they say, Jesus, will you teach us how to do something? Luke 11 and verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. It's amazing, especially in the Gospel of Luke. Luke was very impacted by the prayer life of Jesus. And you find him again and again talking about the different times that Jesus went off to prayer, that Jesus was here praying. And it's a very powerful thing just to focus on the prayer life of Jesus going through the Gospel of Luke. Maybe sometime we can go through it in our sermons together. But here, it came to pass, as Jesus was praying in a certain place, Jesus is just there praying, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John has also taught his disciples to pray. There was something about the prayer life of Jesus. They saw that when Jesus prayed, things happened. They knew that all those miracles, all raising Lazarus from the dead, healing the blind, all that Jesus did in teaching, even in choosing his disciples, each and every one of these events in Jesus' life was bathed in prayer. These things took place because of prayer. And so the disciples, as they saw that Jesus was there praying, something impacted them and they said, Lord, Teach us how to pray. More than anything else, they wanted to know how to pray because they knew that that was the secret of the connection between Jesus and His Father. That's why Jesus, as He had taken on a a human body, He taken on our uh, difficulties in connecting with God, the way He was able to connect with God was just like you and me, through prayer. So Jesus in answer to this, he, he repeats something that he'd already taught the disciples on the Mount, uh, on, in the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 2, he goes into the Lord's Prayer. So he said to them, when you pray, say, now we call it the Lord's Prayer, but really it should be our prayer, right? Because this is what the Lord taught us to pray. When you pray, say, our Father in heaven. What an incredible thing. On this Father's Day, as we think about how Wonderful it is when we can have a good father figure in our life. But Jesus, again and again, tells us to call God our Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. That's significant. We'll come back to that. And forgive us our sins for We also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, a lot of times we stop right there and say, well, this is the teaching that Jesus had on prayer. But Jesus continues right after this in verse 5, and he says, and he said to them. So he's continuing to answer their question, to teach them how to pray. He's going into a deeper teaching on how to pray, and he launches into an amazing story. An amazing parable in verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you will have a friend? I'm no longer talking about fathers here. Which of you has a friend and would go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. Now, in our culture... 
we don't always quite understand this kind of urgency. So I don't know about you, but if I had a friend who came to visit me at midnight, he'd be lucky if I answered the door. <laughs> let alone that I would probably say, well, you want to sleep on the couch tonight? Well, no, hopefully I would let him have the guest bedroom, right? I would let him in and I would put him in the guest bedroom, but I wouldn't feel compelled to feed him at midnight, would you? Maybe some of you would because you're a lot better with hospitality than I am. But in the culture, in the Middle Eastern culture, to feed somebody is a must. To feed something is something you absolutely must do when somebody comes to your house. And to not do this would be extremely rude, would be extremely shameful to you and your family. So here comes the friend. He comes at midnight, he comes completely unexpected, and he comes to a house that has no bread. And so the friend is frantic. He says, I have to find bread. I have to figure out a a way to feed him. And back then there was no supermarkets. There was, you baked your bread in the day. And if your family ate it during the day and at the end of the day, you didn't have any bread left, you had to wait till the next day when you baked some more bread. You didn't just have tons of supplies of food like we have today. So here he gets to the point where he needs to feed his friend and he's got no bread. So what does he do? He says, well, I'll just go ask my neighbor, even though it's midnight. And so he goes over to his neighbor's house. Now, this is urgent. This is comes at the late hour. This comes unexpectedly. And this friend is completely unprepared. And so he goes to ask another friend for help. Verse 7, and he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Friends not too happy about being bugged at midnight. You know that back in this time, families lived together in what would have been one room. And so the father says, hey, I have my kids in the house already. The door is already latched. So they had in in their houses, they had these uh, big door latches with big rings that would have made a lot of noise in order for him to open and unlatch the door in order to let his friend in to give him bread. So he's saying, my kids are sleeping. How many of you with little kids would like for somebody to come banging on your door, ringing the doorbell at midnight? You'd be excited about that? I don't see too many hands raised. It's, It's not a good thing to wake up your family and he's saying, don't trouble me. My family's asleep. Would you stop bothering me? But what happens in the story? It says, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Verse 8, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is a friend. Friendship in this instant is not enough. Just being a friend doesn't necessitate him doing this. It's, he doesn't care enough about this person to give him bread. And he doesn't care enough about the friend of the friend to give bread. Though he will not do it because he is a friend, yet because of his what? Persistence. He will rise and give him as many as he needs. That word there, persistence, in the Greek, it's what's called a hypox legomena, meaning that it only appears one time in the entire New Testament. This is the only time that that word appears. And so we know from outside sources, extra biblical sources, how it was used. It basically refers to shamelessness or such persistence that that you're willing to do whatever it takes. You're not giving up. You're just going to keep on doing it. 
Kind of reminds me of when I was little. My brother is seven and a half years older than me, and I always wanted him to play with me. Now, he probably played with me a lot more than I realized, but as a seven-year-old, I didn't feel like he played with me enough. And I felt like he would go into his room, he'd shut the door, it would be locked, and I just wondered what went on in that room. What was he doing in there that he couldn't come out and play with me? I had my cars, I had all kinds of fun toys, if only we could just play together. So I developed an idea. I know what I'll do. I'll start just to knock on his door until he answers. So I go to his door and I knock, no answer. Knock, no answer. I forget about it and go back about my business. And then I come back and knock some more. Till finally I was just pounding on his door and pounding on his door. I just wasn't willing to give up until my brother came out. And then suddenly the door opened and the look on his face made me run. <laughs> I don't think he actually even chased me down the hall, but I didn't bother to look. I just ran as fast as I could straight to the living room. I jumped up on the recliner in the living room and then I was going a little too fast. I fell over the recliner and broke my arm on the other side. It didn't turn out too well for me, but my brother answered. He answered because I was persistent, because I was shameless, because it didn't matter anymore. I just wanted him to open that door. And this is the story that we find here. This this friend is not giving up. He says, well, if you're not willing to wake up your kids, then I'm going to wake them up. And he just keeps knocking. How annoying would this be if you had somebody come at midnight and just keep pounding at your door, ringing your doorbell, saying, hey, would you help me? And you say, no, my family's sleeping. I'm just going to keep ringing this doorbell until you answer. That would be pretty annoying, wouldn't it? So that's the idea of this word here for persistence. It's shamelessness, persistence, not willing to give up, not willing to take no for an answer. And then Jesus continues with his teaching on prayer. He says, so I say to you, ask. Now when he says, so I say to you, so in the same way, just like you've just seen in this parable, so I say to you, just like this friend who was desperate for bread, you too ask in exactly the same way. And in Greek, the word here for ask, it's actually to it's a customary present, meaning you keep on asking. You, you ask and you ask and you ask. You don't stop asking. Jesus is saying, just like this friend who goes to his friend at midnight begging for bread because he wants to provide bread for his friend, don't stop asking. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open. An incredible promise that we often quote when we go to pray, saying if we just ask, God will give it to us. But we need to remember the context in which Jesus tells us to ask. Jesus tells us to ask just like this friend. The friend who would not take no for an answer. The, the friend who was shameless. The friend who came at midnight and just kept pounding at the door saying, I won't stop because my friend is hungry and I want to feed my friend. I need to give him bread and I need you to answer the door and I'm not taking no for an answer because I know that you've got bread in there and I know that you want, that you'll give it to me. I know that you're going to help me out. And so he keeps on knocking. And Jesus says in the same way, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. 
Now, up to this point in the story, it's been all about friendship, right? You had, first of all, how many of you would have a friend who, when a friend comes to visit, he would go to his friend, and they're all friends in this story. Now, the one friend is a father, and he doesn't want to wake up his children. But that closeness, that being a father to the kids, doesn't make him want to answer this request. Instead, it makes him not want to answer this request. Does that make sense? Okay, so him being a father is actually hindering him from answering his friend's request because he wants to keep his kids sleeping. He wants them to have a good night's sleep so he and his wife can have a good night's sleep. So being a friend isn't helping in this situation. Now Jesus suddenly switches the tables here. In verse 11, so he's not comparing that friend to God. Instead, he's going to contrast how that friend acted in the situation with how God acts with us. So he's not comparing and saying in the same way that, that we need to go and we need to convince God somehow. If we knock loud enough and hard enough, maybe God will answer because he's finally so annoyed that he'll want to answer our prayer. But instead, he launches into talking about fathers. In verse 11, it says, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Okay, so imagine that your son comes up to you and asks you for a fish. How many of you would handle him a rattlesnake? Here, just take this rattlesnake instead to your little four-year-old child. Nobody's going to do it, Jesus says. Or if he asks for an egg, he says, I want some scrambled eggs for breakfast. Will he offer him a scorpion instead? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more? How much greater? How much bigger is your heavenly Father? How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? My dad also works in the ministry. And so when I have a question about something that anytime Leah or I have a question that, that we feel is significant, sometimes we'll call them up and say, hey, can you help us with this situation or give us some advice? And oftentimes I'll say, you know, when you're not busy, because I know that he's busy, I know that he has tons of things that he's doing. And so I'll often say, do you have time now? And here's the question that I have. And time and time again, I have watched as my dad has dropped everything, his busy schedule, all the things that he has to do. And I didn't even ask him to. I just said, you know, would you help me when you have time? But my dad just clears everything out of his day. And he begins to go about asking his secretary, asking somebody to, to send me a book or to help me with whatever situation that I'm facing, as if that was the most important thing to him in the world. My dad is willing to answer any question, any problem that I have. I can call him anytime knowing that he wants to help me. And Jesus says, you know, if you have earthly fathers that are like this, how much more your perfect heavenly father, how much more will, will he drop everything for you and give you what? What does it specifically say? How much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? Now, why did Jesus 
give all of this introduction and, and, and then suddenly ends with the Holy Spirit. What does this have to do with all that he's been talking about in his teaching on prayer all the way up? I mean, the friend was asking for bread. Now, what does Jesus compare bread to in his ministry? You have in Matthew 4, verse 4, when he's there in the wilderness and he's being tempted by the devil and the devil comes to him and tells him to turn the stones into bread. He says, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But he takes it to a whole nother level in John chapter 6 when the multitudes are coming after him and they're, they're wanting to receive that bread that he'd multiplied the day before. He said that, they said that was amazing how you multiplied the bread, you fed 5,000 people. Would you do that for us again today? We could have an amazing army that could go out and fight continuously if you just kept multiplying bread for us. But Jesus tells them, you need to feed off of me. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. So Jesus himself represents bread as being a representation of him. That's why at communion service, we have this awesome thing where we take the bread and we eat it. We do it to remember Jesus. Don't miss next Sabbath. It's going to be an incredible blessing together as we have communion together. It reminds us of Jesus like nothing else. But here, Jesus in this story, he begins, first of all, with the Lord's Prayer, and he says, ask God daily. Say, give us day by day our daily bread. Sure, this is talking about our physical bread, but so much more than that, it's talking about, give me Jesus today. Give me a closer walk with Jesus today. I need more of Jesus. Give me bread today. But then he goes into this story about a friend who has another friend that comes to visit wanting bread. He has a friend who comes who's hungry. And he says, the friend goes and he asks of the other friend to give him bread so that he can feed his friend. So what does the bread represent in this story? Again, Jesus is the bread of life. And here, someone is hungry for bread. Somebody is longing for Jesus. And Jesus says, when you have a need, when you have a situation in which somebody needs me, ask. But don't just ask. Ask persistently. Ask consistently. Ask shamelessly. Don't stop asking the Father until I pour out my Holy Spirit on you so that you are so filled with Jesus that you have bread. You have Jesus to offer to that person who is in such desperate need of bread. You know, in Amos chapter 8, it says that in the end would come a time when people will, there will be a famine on the earth. Not a famine, it says, for bread. Not a famine like we normally see, but it will be a famine for the Word of God. We live in a society that has totally neglected the Word of God. We live in a society where the people around us are hungry. They're hungry and they don't even realize it. They're trying to fill the void with all kinds of things. They're looking for answers in all the wrong places. And you have bread to offer them. You have Jesus to offer them. We have the Word of God. We have truth about Jesus that this world desperately needs. But here's the problem. A lot of times... I'm more like a friend. I don't consider the importance of reaching out to these people. I'm happy with 
my little household and making sure that my group of people has what they need. I'm like that friend who's not willing to open the door in order to give bread because I don't really see the need of those around me. I love what it says in Christ's Object Lessons, page 143. It says in the parable, the petitioner was again and again repulsed, but he did not relinquish his purpose. So our prayers do not always seem to receive an immediate answer, but Christ teaches that we should not cease to pray. Prayer is not to work any change in God. It is to bring us into harmony with God. You know, I've often wondered, why does Jesus tell us that we have to ask and ask and ask and then God will answer? It's not to work any change in God. God is very clear. He says, I don't change. Instead, it's to change our heart. Because I've realized that my heart doesn't have the same kind of love that the heart of the Father has for His children outside the doors of this church. Children that are starving for bread. Children who desperately need to be fed with the Word of God. Who desperately need to see Jesus revealed. I don't really care as much as I should. On Thursday, I was on my way back from Wisconsin camp meeting. Got up actually at about 12.30, around midnight, and uh, had some time with God, and then left the, the area at 2 a.m., drove to the airport. My flight was at 5.30. Now, that morning, I, I did pray. I said, God, today while I'm there, would you just guide my footsteps? If there's anybody you want me to interact with, anybody that you want me to tell about Jesus today, would you open that door? I did pray that. I did ask for God to open up those opportunities. But you know, you pray a prayer and then you kind of forget about it. You go on through your day and I was checked into the first flight, got on the plane, and as I was walking on the plane, I think I might have shot up a prayer saying, Lord, help me to sit next to the right person. Well, I saw the guy, I went in and I sat down next to him and I said, how are you doing today? Fine. Oh, I can take a cue. I didn't say anything the rest of the flight. I went about reading and praying and thinking about other things on the rest of the flight. And when I got up, I felt justified because when he got up, he began to get in an argument with another person who happened to bump into him in the aisle. And pretty soon they were yelling and I thought, see, it's a good thing I didn't talk to that guy because he's just having a bad day. Then I got off the plane And I was there in Chicago airport waiting for a while and was interested by different people I saw, fascinated. You know, it's fun to watch people sometimes. (laughs) There was a guy who had a huge bulldog that that was his, uh, I forget what you call it, maybe a service dog, basically. And I don't know how a bulldog fits as a service dog, but I was just fascinated by watching little things that people were doing and wasn't really thinking about how could I reach somebody? How could I help somebody today? Got on that plane, and as I, I got on, the, the guy, there was three seats across, and I was in the window because I love to be next to the window so I can see out so that I can sleep. Even though I have long legs, I, I always pick the window seat. So the guy in the end had to stand up, and he was really tall. He said, wow, do you play volleyball? And he had a, a jersey for playing basketball, uh, volleyball, and I said, well, not anymore that much. So I connected with him a little bit, but then the lady in the middle was Chinese, and she didn't want to get up, so she just motioned for me to, to step over her. 
So I stepped over, got in the window seat, and she pulled out a Bible. And I thought, that's great. But then it was in Chinese, and I thought, you know, she doesn't even speak English. I'm not even going to try to get into this conversation. But I thought, well, I know what I'll do. I'll pick out my Bible, and I'll start reading too. So I got out my Bible, and I started reading. And I thought, well, you know, maybe it's a good influence to other people to see me reading my Bible here. Maybe that's, that's what God wanted me to do on this flight. Didn't talk to her the whole flight. Talked to the other guy occasionally about volleyball, but nothing really interesting happened. But on that flight, I was reading a lot about this story. I got off the plane in LAX and was sitting waiting for my next flight. I think it, I got a text from Malin saying that he was going to pray for me to have a divine encounter. That coupled with what I was studying in this story, I began to look around the airport. I began to read about this friend who was asking to give. He was asking to be able to, to give bread to his neighbor. And I began to realize that there were a whole lot of hungry people walking past me in that airport. I looked around LAX and I just saw people that were obviously burdened. I saw people who were going through their day and they weren't happy at all. And I thought, these people need Jesus. How can I give them Jesus? How can I possibly offer them bread today? And suddenly God said to me, are you willing to ask like the friend asked? Are you willing to ask until your heart for these people is changed? Until you actually care about what they're going through. And so I finally began to say, okay, God, I, I think I get it. I'm going to just start asking, Lord, please, would you, would you give me your Holy Spirit? Would you give me bread so that I can somehow help somebody today? Please fill me with life for somebody else. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the ability to talk to somebody about you. I thought, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep, I'm going to just try to put this into practice. As I get on the plane, I'm just going to keep asking God. And I'm going to ask Him to sit me next to somebody and to guide that conversation. And when I'm talking, I'm just going to keep asking Him, would you fill me with your Spirit? Would you fill me? Because that's what Jesus says to do. He says, if you ask and keep on asking and don't stop refusing to take no for an answer, then the Father who is so willing to give will fill you with the Holy Spirit. So I sat down next to a lady. It's just a 28-minute flight from uh, LAX to here, but our plane got delayed on the, the runway there in LA, so we, we waited for a while there. Got to get in a good conversation with her and just kept pleading with God, would you show me what to talk about? And I don't have any amazing story to tell you about how right after we walked off the plane, I walked her to the nearest bathtub and baptized her. But God did guide in that conversation. And there was a time where she brought up that she came from a family that had a Jewish background. And I was able to tell her about the church that I come from that has a lot of connections with that Jewish culture that many other Christians have forgotten about. We were able to talk about death and how it's so traumatic to people. And I was able to share her just a little bit about what I believe from the Bible. And at the end, I was able to just give her my business card and say, you know, our church isn't too far away from you. If my wife and I or a church can ever do anything to help you, would you let us know? It wasn't anything huge, but I know that Jesus was answering my prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have bread, to give to someone. 
And God began to change my heart. You know, the more that we ask, the more persistently and consistently that we ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of our neighbors, for the purpose of our family, for the purpose of our our coworkers, who we get too content. We forget that our Father in Heaven looks at them as a child. A child that is starving to death. If any of you fathers knew that your son was starving to death, would you not give them bread? But how much more my next door neighbor and the one down the street that I know needs to know Jesus in a closer way. I want to have the heart of Jesus. I want to care for my neighbors like God cares for them. In the book Christ Object Lessons, it says our prayers are to be as earnest and persistent as was the petition of the needy friend who asked for the loaves at midnight. And this is the beautiful thing. It doesn't work a change in God, but it works a change in us. Look at what it says. The more earnestly and steadfastly we ask. So the more we're just constantly pleading. We're like that friend just pounding on the door saying, God, open the door. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Pour out your Holy Spirit. The more earnestly we ask, the closer will be our spiritual union with Christ. We will receive increased blessings Because we have increased faith. In the review in Herald, it says, pray often to your Father. The oftener you engage in prayer, the closer your soul will be drawn into a sacred nearness to God. You want a close relationship with Jesus. You want to be set on fire for Jesus. You want the people at your work, the people in your family, the people in your neighborhood to know that you know Jesus for yourself, to see a powerful relationship that you have with Jesus, then ask. The more that we spend time in prayer, the more that we're seeking that connection with God, the more powerfully we will receive the Holy Spirit and the more that we'll actually have to give to our hungry friends love this from the Review and Herald in 1909. It says, if there were far more urgent intercessions for perishing souls, there would be far more souls saved. I long to have the heart of a father for his children when it comes to my neighbors. I was thinking the other day as I was looking at world events, seeing what's happening, and we don't know how soon the end will come. But as we look at what's going on in the world, I know that time is short. It's clear from the Bible that time is coming to a close. We're coming to a final end. And when I think about it, what if, say two months from now, everything came to an end and Jesus came back in the clouds? How would I feel at that moment? I would be so excited about seeing Jesus, but then I thought about what about my neighbors? What about my extended family? What about those people that I haven't told about Jesus? How heartbreaking that would be. I think I had the opportunity to feed starving souls, and I missed it. I don't want to miss it. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to represent Jesus in every part of my life. I want to be compelled by Jesus to go out and tell my neighbors, to go out and tell my coworkers, to tell all my friends, there is a God worth loving and He loves you like a father loves his children and He's just waiting to open His heart to you. But I honestly don't know how to do it. Oftentimes, it's like the, the lady that speaks, sits next to me that doesn't even speak my language. 
Or it's like the guy who's having a bad day. I'm not sure how to connect with him, but I know that Jesus has promised that if I ask consistently and with an unwillingness to give up, that he will answer and he will teach me how to reach them. He will fill me with his Holy Spirit so that I can impact a soul for Jesus. On this Father's Day, there's no greater gift that you could give to your Heavenly Father than to tell somebody about his infinite love for them. Can you imagine how his heart breaks day in and day out to see his kids starving to death, needing more of Jesus? And you and I have an opportunity that we're never going to have throughout all of eternity. As we get to enjoy all the good pleasures of heaven, we get to enjoy every good gift that God has for us in heaven Never again will we have the opportunity like we have today to be used by God to impact somebody who needs to know Jesus. Somebody who will only be in heaven because God used you to impact them. Do you want to ask for bread? Do you want to ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you, not just so that you can be filled, because that's important, but filled so that our lives are so transformed, so set on fire, that the world around us wants to know Jesus? I really want to have bread to offer to a starving world. If that's your desire today, if, if you really want to take it on to say, God, throughout my day, I want to be praying as I'm at work. Lord, how do I help that guy at the next cubicle over? How do I, what can I possibly do for that person in the, the chair over there? How can I reach them? Lord, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I have to give? If you want to pray in a way like this friend who was shameless, who was persistent, who refused to take no for an answer because you want your heart to beat in sync with the Father's heart, that heart of love for those around you, I want to invite you to stand with me. Just to stand and say, Jesus, I want you to place in me a heart to pray a heart to plead for your Holy Spirit, a heart to, to not take no for an answer, to, to continue knocking until I'm filled with the Holy Spirit so that this world that is starving for a knowledge of Jesus can finally see His love in my life. Let's pray together. Father, we stand before You today recognizing that we have nothing to offer this world. We don't even know how to make that transition from our ordinary conversations into conversations that actually lead people to Jesus. But you have promised us that if we ask, we will receive your Holy Spirit. And that when we receive your Holy Spirit, we will be made witnesses. And so Father, as we stand here today, we don't even know how to ask as we should, but we know that you've told us to be persistent, to continue crying out to you until we are filled. And so God, we're here just asking that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit like never before. Please pour out your Holy Spirit. We want to be able to make a difference in this world. And that's only going to happen when we have a closer union with your heart. Please come Holy Spirit and fill us. Fill us with Jesus. Fill us with the desire to pray for others. Lord, burden our hearts for our neighbors, for our friends, for our coworkers, for our family. Lord, help us to see them as the perishing children that they are that desperately need to hear about Jesus. Give us no rest until we take the time 
to reach out to those around us. Please pour out your Holy Spirit on us, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.